Today is our fourth week and the final week of our series called Triggered. And if you've been with us the last number of weeks, you've heard topics really that can trigger us. Um, we've been talking about substance abuse, that was the first week, and then politics. And uh, last week was on mental wellness. Susie Tasker was with us, and man, she did a phenomenal job. If you couldn't be with us, I just want to encourage you to tune in and watch that. She did such an incredible job, and uh, I know so many have watched that and has helped us as we process that. And then today is on racial unity, and I'm so glad to have my good friend with me, Pastor Telvin Howe. Come on, would you give it up for Pastor T with us today? Telvin and I uh, worked together at our previous church and uh, got to minister together. And uh, when Kristen and I came to that church, you were there long before us. And uh, growing up in that church, and uh, Telvin and I have done ministry together. It's been neat to see what uh, God has done and what he continues to do to use you. And uh, so glad to have you with us. Uh, welcome, Telvin. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We're so glad to be here with you guys this morning. Good to have you guys. And listen, I know you guys, you and your family have embarked on a new journey uh, this last year. And I want to have you tell us about that and what God has been doing and stirring in you. Yeah. Well, first, I want to introduce my family to you. I have my family. They're in here at the second service. They weren't in the first, but I have my beautiful wife, Rebecca, and yes. my two boys, Grayson and Zane. So... Um, Guys, I, I told them I would do this for them because um, I'm trying to get them to pick a different football team um, because <laughs> the football team they like is unholy. And um, but so, but they wanted me to see. Are there any Patriots fans in the house? I think we okay, have some well, right, there. Uh, right there, right uh, there. On the okay, <laughs> there, but there's not many. There's not many. There's not many. But uh, I was just so glad. At first, I just want to say thank. Thank you, Pastor John and Christopher, for having us. Matter of fact, if it wasn't for Kristen, I would not be married. Yes. Uh, you know, wow. I, yes. When we served on staff together, um, <laughs> there was this, uh, they, they were young families, pastors and, and there, and um, there was this young lady helping out with this event, and I was single at the time. And I'm walking around the event with, with Pastor John and Kristen, just checking stuff out. And Kristen points at this young lady and says, ooh, who is she? I could see you with her. And, um, and my first response was, ugh. Um, I was like, no. And, um, and I was young and dumb, um, you know, back then. But it all worked out. So Amen. thank you. And now almost going on 15 years later. She's a great pick. And we are still together. So so good. Yeah, but like Pastor John was saying, him and I served on staff <laughs> together, and one of the things that we were there I loved about our church is just the diversity yeah. that we had and had a heart for missions and different things. And so uh, just recently, matter of fact, my wife and I served on that, I served on staff there for 20 years. Mm. And so I know some of you are like, you don't look that old. I'll be 43 coming up this year. Man, um, looking good. Yeah, I, so I know my bot right now, you know, I feel like I'm a little, you know, <laughs> little kid, you know, up here, you know, I'm trying to touch the floor, you know, but um, I, I'm growing up though. I'm, I'm drinking milk. So they, they, they say it does a body good. Uh, I'm not seeing the results yet. So I may need to switch, you know, to, back to whole milk and stay away from the 2%. But, um, but after spending about 20 years there on staff, God just, our, just said our season was done. And it was hard because I had been there. I've grown up in that church and have been there. 
And so to walk away, it was just like, okay, I don't know what we're doing. And so when we, we resigned over a year ago, that church, um, you know, we walked away, not sure what we're going to do. We had no God had birthed some things in us. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know whether we we're going to take over a church or yeah. start something. And then probably about November, we really settled that, okay, we're going to plant a church, uh, really with the focus of being reconciliation. Um, and, and we'll share a little bit later, kind of in the talk a little bit about some yeah. things, but you know, we just said, okay, let's do it. So with $3,000, which in about 20 people, which wow. is, uh, all we raised from them. Um, we, we launched in February and so it's been an amazing, we did everything that they tell you not to do with church planning. (laughs) We've done it. We, we've done the opposite, but God has been really faithful. And even in the reconciliation part, I didn't even say, share this in the first service, but even just what God's doing in the body of Christ as a whole, where, um, we didn't have a play. We're like a month out from target when we're going to launch which is like probably two months from when we first started things, and they, that's a whole no-no. They tell you take a year, it's longer. But a, a pastor from an all-white Baptist church uh, came to us and uh, said, hey, I hear you're planting a church. I said, yeah, where you want to meet? I'm like, I don't know. Um, I said, at this point, you know, you could pray for us because right now, I mean, I'll take a closet if, if, <laughs> if, if it comes open because um, we had some things and things were falling through, and the pastor said, well, let's talk. And in my mind, I'm thinking, talk about what? You got a closet? You know, you know, <laughs> hey, you know, and, and so we sat down and talked and he says, you know what? He says, my church, I'd really been praying. We've been praying about, you know, we're getting older. And he says, you know, we have a lot of space and we want to be good stewards of what God has given us. And so mm-hmm. he says, will you please pray about maybe coming in and sharing this building with us? Wow. And, cool. and so we prayed about it. And to make a long story short, um, we we share a building with this Baptist church in the area, and it's just been a wonderful blessing. Um, mm-hmm. We meet on Saturday nights, and um, I mean, they've given it. I have a master key to the whole building. Uh, they've given me office space, and what? And then coming up next weekend, the beautiful thing about it is we're actually going to worship together. We're going to have a combined services where they're going to come worship with That's- us on Saturday night, and we're going to go worship with them on Sunday morning. So. God's doing something in the body of Christ. So, wow. I yes. love that. I love that. Man, when you said that word about a building, what came to mind is just expansion of what God's doing through you guys and your ministry there at Emmaus and Hampton. So I know when we came to this subject of uh, going through the topics with our creative team on uh, the areas that we should cover, and there's so many we can cover when it comes to the word triggered because we're all triggered by something. And uh, we came to this area of racial unity. You were the first one that came to my mind, just with working with you and uh, in the Hampton Roads area and seeing, like you said, the diversity of uh, the Hampton Roads area as well. But, you know, we know this. Satan is the enemy, has done a great job in dividing us through racism. That's for sure. He's used it as a tool. We've latched on to it. Um, And I I just want to, as we talk today, I believe that the local church can be a place to help alleviate the racial tension in the world that we live in. Are you with me, church? I believe that. That's what God has called us to do. So I just want to encourage you today, we just lean in and establish this posture to love better, to love like Jesus as we go through this topic of of racial unity. But uh, tell them as we come to this, what can we do to promote racial unity? Yeah, I think one of the things we're doing now, 
Um, and I want to just commend you and Kristen for just having this conversation. And even over the Triggered series, uh, dealing with things that are real life issues. Because I think a lot of people are walking away from the church because we failed to connect Sunday with Monday. Mm -hmm. And so people want to know, hey, how is what you're talking about going to help me with what I'm going through on Monday? Yeah. And so these issues of substance abuse, of political things, and, and, and mental health and racism are very real issues in our homes, in our workplaces, in our cities. And so sure. I think the first thing is really having these conversations. But I like to put it like this. It's an acronym I heard called ARC. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ARC kind of is there, but it all can also be a bridge. And it's meaning, one, awareness. Um, number one, learn. Become aware. Learn of what's going on because you don't know what you don't know. And, and so many times we are unaware of the many different faces and forms that racism takes. It doesn't look like it did exactly, you know, uh, years ago, but it's taken different forms, systematic, institutional. Someone, um, I asked this question to someone before we were someplace, and I said, yeah. name one aspect of American culture where slavery did not impact. Hmm. Every, every institution and system of America was impacted by slavery and racism. Wow. And so there's a lot of institutional and systematic racism that still exists. Mm. And so becoming aware. And the second thing is, you know, the R, is relationships. Building relationships. If you don't have someone outside of your different ethnicity, your race, your culture, that you are in relationship with, then I'd like to say you're doing it wrong. Um, you know, that you should have yeah. someone and, and you should have mm. someone in your life because then you could ask those hard conversations. You could have those meaningful mm -hmm. questions, those conversations with that you could just ask, hey, you know what? I was at the park and someone looked at me like this and I know that you're kind of the same. Like, what did that mean? Or did I say something wrong? Or did I? And you could have those conversations in a, in a loving way because I think a lot of times is we don't have those relationships that we could just the people that care about us, that'll just tell us the truth and we'll do it in love. Yeah. And so we have to, you know, become aware, awareness, relationships. But the last thing is commitment. We need to be committed with what we become aware of and the relationships that we have. We have to be committed to speak out and stand up for what is right. Amen. Um, you know, in James, I believe, chapter four, it says to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, unto him is sin. Yeah. And so we have to do what is right and be able to speak it out. Don't mm -hmm. just sit back, but begin to declare, hey, this is wrong. Yeah, I love that, that ARC, ARC. I think that's a great reminder. And I know for me, I've got a lot to learn on a racial unity. And uh, that, that, like you're saying, the conversation needs to continue. Don't let it stop. Yeah. Um, especially the tensions that we feel on this topic that gets us triggered. Um, also, what is it, as we look at this topic of racial unity, what is it that we don't understand about racism in America? Yeah, and that's a, that's a loaded question there. Um, and I like to go back and say that th you're really not going to know everything just from this 30-minute conversation. Yeah. But hopefully it will be something that triggers something in you to want to go become more aware. Um, mm -hmm. I think before we begin to understand about racism in America, um, I think we have to come and understand that Really, the civil rights was only in the 50s and 60s. It wasn't that long ago. There is still a generation that's very real that lived through that. And so yeah. like my father, my father's generation, he lived that. And so for him, it is very real. 
Um, and so, I mean, I remember when, you know, President Barack Obama got elected, and, and no, and this isn't a political spill, no matter how you feel about that, there was a generation that spent all night crying because they never thought in their lifetime that they would ever see that. And so it's very real. I remember staying up just myself, just crying mm. because I being, you know, again, I, I, I'm old enough to have experienced some yeah. things. I never thought I would see that in my lifetime. Right. And so mm. the significance of that uh, thing was very, very, you know, um, was very real. But I also think we have to understand is that this before we could talk about racism in America, we have to begin to understand and confront our own biases. Um, we have to understand that this is something that is it's it's always been around. It goes back to the very beginning of time when the enemy, Pastor John mentioned about division, and the enemy from the very beginning of time has used division as his calling card. Yeah. From the very beginning, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, the enemy, what he did, what Satan did, he did two things. He divided man from God, and he divided man from one another. And those are the two things that he constantly does every day is he divides us from God and he divides us from one another. And that's why Jesus says the only two things that I want you to do is love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second thing is love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because it's confronting the two things that the enemy came to do. Mm, and so we have to understand that this is something that the enemy, it is the last greatest hurdle I believe before we see an outpouring of God's presence like never before is that uh, this division and he keeps doing it because it works. I mean, it goes mm. back and understanding too, even a scriptural basis that this is something that's even in scripture. It, it goes back, you go back into Jews and Samaritans. You know, we don't think about racism and ethnicity issues in the Bible, but you know, you look in John, the book of John, you know, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and um, remember, you know, Jesus is talking to her, but she says, uh, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Well, how did she know Jesus was a Jew? There was something physical. There was something, maybe a dialect that was different. Mm. There was differences that she knew that who she was and she knew who he was. Mm. And then she goes on to say, she's like, oh, you people say, if that isn't racist language, you people uh, you know, right. you people yeah. say that we should do over here, but the way that Jesus crossed over and loved on her. And I think, um, and so we have to understand that man, that there is a lot of that that is going on, but going back to the, uh, the question and I'm just, I'm sorry, this is so much on my heart. There's so much. So, That's you know, good. I'm not That's going good. rogue. I'm coming back. I'm, I'm going to come back to the question, but understand about racism in America is that it's still very much alive and well. And that it's taken a different form than it's taken in the 1950s and 60s. Um, mm. Matter of fact, my boys, we took a trip. My wife and I, we all went last year to Georgia. And we went down and to see my father's family for a family reunion. And we went to the cemetery to go visit my grandmother and my grandfather's grave. And so, first off, when you drive into the cemetery, you notice that half the cemetery is very decorated, beautiful. There's flowers everywhere. And then there's another side. It's just weeds. It's dirt. It's just, it's terrible. And there's a big fence down the middle that separates the nice half from the, from the bad half. And my boy's not knowing any better. Just says, hey, uh, why is that nicer than here? And my father said, because that's the white side of the cemetery. And this side is the black side. And then we said, well, what's the fence for? The fence keeps them separated. Mm. 
it's 2018, and there is still a fence. Matter of fact, the fence was brand new. So it, there was always been a fence, but somebody saw fit to make it brand new wow. to keep that division there. It's 2018, wow. and you still have that, that the black side and the white side of the cemetery. Matter of fact, in our area, just uh, about two weeks ago, we had a, a football team that had to forfeit a game because their team, some of the white players, made racist videos uh, towards one of the teams that they were playing. This is 2018. Wow. And, and here's the thing. It's never stopped. The only thing that we're more aware of it now is because social media and everybody puts all their business on the Internet. Right. But it's always been that way. It has never been a way. And so I think we need to understand when it comes to that way about America that we have tons of it that's there. It's just a different form. Yeah, and I think that's important for us to identify, you know, the blind spots that prevent us from honoring each other that we are all made in the image of God. Yeah. And like you're saying, all of us have biases underneath, and we have, to, we have to talk about them. We need to talk about We need to deal with them, get them out there, talk about it, conversations like this. Like you're saying, 30 minutes doesn't do it justice, but it's a beginning spot for many of us to dialogue with uh, others that we need so much. But we need, we need to intentionally honor one another. Yeah. That's God's way in it. And so are there any other areas where you felt like, you know, you shared some, but any underlying biases you felt? Yeah, I think, you know, the thing is we have to understand we all have biases. Um, matter of fact, when, we, when some of you heard the term we're going to talk about racism, there's things that happen inside of you. Yeah. And, and I think we have to understand for us, Pastor John says something key. He said the church is the answer. And I believe what's happened for so long, we've been waiting for the government to legislate this thing. And the government's role isn't to do that. The church Amen. has the answer. And we must understand that the gospel is racial reconciliation. Yay. The Man. gospel is reconciliation. I it, believe that. Yes. And what's happened is, you know, without going into history, we've separated where you, you may have heard the term social gospel and then you hear gospel, and we've made out to be, well, if you talk about social issues, then that's not the gospel. We, we need to talk about what, what stuff Jesus would talk about. But when you begin to study, Jesus talked about this. Yeah. I mean, you, you, he, he talked about this very, very much and well. The gospel yeah. is about reaching across. The, the Bible talks about we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus' very nature, he lived it. He left his position. Yep. He crossed the aisle, mm -hmm. and he came, and what did he do? He lived among us. He identified with us, and then what did he do? He reconciled us to God. And the Bible says he's given us that ministry of reconciliation. And so yeah. we, we, we have to do that. When you look through the Gospels, when you look through Paul, the epistles, I mean, he talks about in the book of Ephesians, tearing down that dividing wall of hostility. I mean, even the, the battle between the Jews and Gentiles, saying that there's no more of that. And so we have to understand that all of us are created in the image of God and that we all have those things. And when it comes to those underlying biases, you know, we have to understand that, again, we all have to confront them first in ourselves. And, and, and understand yeah. that all of us have, you know, again, I grew up in a home where my father lived through that. So growing up a little bit, I was always taught a little bit that white people are bad. But then my father joined the military and we moved all abroad. And I got a chance to know mm. different cultures, different backgrounds and different races and got to see the beauty and everything. Matter of fact, 
it's to the point now where my life every day is reconciliation. My wife is Hispanic. I have white brother-in-laws. I have white nieces and nephews. And it's just all a part of who I am. And my wife and I were joking that if we go to one place that's all monoethnic, we start to kind of shake and we feel like, out of place, whether it's, you know, all black or all white. Yeah. It's like, we need some color in this place. Like, where are, you know, like what's going on, Amen. you know? And, and we don't feel comfortable anywhere because we just, the beauty of diversity. Because here's the thing, and, 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 and I said this in the first service, he's going rogue, but I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 here's the thing. The, each and every culture, each and every race has its beautiful strengths. And, and if we... And the enemy knows that. And so if he could keep us divided, he could keep us from really fulfilling what God's called us to do and see a beautiful picture of what heaven's going to look like. Because yeah. in the end of Revelation, it says, what, in heaven there's going to be every nation, every tribe, every Amen. tongue. And, and, I, and, and I want you to think about something. We always talk about the day of Pentecost. We always talk about the, when the Holy Spirit fell. We love talking about that. But if you really think about it, for instance, that, that has nothing to do with kind of the, you know, Holy Spirit coming so that we could kind of have these goosebump experiences in church. Mm -hmm. If you notice what happened, you know, before the setup happens, it talks about in, in Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit are coming to give you power to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the other ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit falls. All of a sudden, it names lots of nations, and that point was to the other ends of the earth. There were African nations, there were European nations that were all represented there, and they weren't just Jews, mm. because again, the first thing it says is that we heard the gospel, and we heard it in our language. That the Holy Spirit was poured out to cross those barrier lines. Mm. It was poured out to reach. And so I am convinced that we're not going to see the full effect of what Pentecost means until we cross those lines mm. and begin to Amen. reach and connect with one another. And so I think, man, we have to understand that. Amen. I agree with that 100%. You know, in a lot of it, you're, is, it could be fear. It could be ignorance. It could be just flat out, I don't want to do, you know, I don't... Uh, care about diversity. We need to come and confront those things. Like you're saying, in us first. Yeah. In us first. So what would you say is the difference then between like tolerating things and then real active unity? That's a, that's a good question right there. You know, I think the thing that we have to understand is when you think about tolerating something, we talk about tolerance a lot. We tolerate something because we really, we don't really want to deal with it, but we'll, we'll just accept it because it just is what it is. You know, like for those of us that have kids and there's things that they do that we don't like. And so, you know, we don't feel like battling. We don't want to die on that hill. So it's like, okay, <laughs> yep. we just tolerate it, you know. Um, but between real active unity, active unity says, I'm not tolerating this because I have to. Real unity says, I love it. And I believe it's the core of who we are. And I do it out of a posture of love. Um, mm. And a lot of that is really, again, goes back to awareness and, and learning about those things and, and learning, you know, what, what is meaningful. You know, I said this in the first service, I'll say it here at this point. One of the things I tell people and all meaning and well-being, um, when people say phrases like, you know what, I don't see color. I just want to say that's one of the most offensive things you could say. And I'd say that in a loving way because I want you to see my color. That's right. I want you to know that I am made in the image of God, and I'm unique, and God Amen. created me to be who I am. And so, because 
here's the thing that I've learned, and I think what we understand is there's something now that I call it's 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 the we we get caught up in the romanticism of diversity. That diversity is the buzzword now. Multi-ethnic is the buzzword now. And we want it, but we want it kind of in a uniformity thing where, okay, we could have it, but we're diverse just by color, but you're going to think we're all going to be the same thing. We're all going to have the same culture. We're all going to whatever. And that's not what really true diversity is. True diversity is messy. True diversity, it, 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 I mean, you've seen, a, have you seen one of those tapestries, you know, the beautiful tapestries on the front? It looks all beautiful, and then the backside of it, it looks like a tattered mess. Yeah. That's how diversity is, and it's that way because there's lots of things that you have. There's lots of hard conversations that have to go in it. There's lots of confronting biases in yourself that has to go in it, but when you push through, you have the beautiful picture that comes from it. But it's learning those things. It's learning to see everyone as unique. I want you to see my color. I want you to see my culture. I want you to know who I am. I want you to experience that. And so it's, it's things like that that moves from tolerating to loving. You know, loving unity says that I want to know you. I want to understand what, may, what's, what hurts. I want to understand those things that maybe I have said or done that hurts you. Matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was sharing a story with someone. I went into the, um, uh, a friend of mine, a world friend, he's part of the church plant there, he's retiring from the military. And so he invited me to pray and speak at his retirement ceremony. So I, if you know me, I only have one suit in my closet. <laughs> And that's the Mary and Barry suit. <laughs> if you see me in a suit, basically it's because I'm going to do a wedding or I'm going to do a funeral. And the people, if they see me, and if, and if I have to do a hospital visit in between, people get scared. Because they're like, oh, no, pastor, uh, you got on a suit. Is it that bad? I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. So what, ends, so what ended up happening, I had to get gas. you know. And so I run into 7-Eleven, and there's an older white lady behind the counter. And as soon as I walk in, she looks at me, and she says, well, what did you do? And for some people, you may say, well, what's wrong with that? What she was insinuating behind that comment is, is that African-American men don't dress up unless they're going to court. Goodness. See, that's what she was insinuating. So I look back at her and I say, ma'am, I didn't do anything. I said, matter of fact, I'm going to speak at a friend's retirement ceremony. Hmm. And she said, oh, and she turned and started doing her thing. But it's things like that going back to where every day they're encountering, and I could tell you, I could share tons of stories every week about, I mean, I probably get one racist comment a week of something that, that happens. People just, and, and some of it, I think it's just people not knowing and not understanding what they're saying is offensive. And so that's where it goes when it goes back to, instead of just tolerating, loving unity. And there's, and, and some, in passing, sometimes I don't pay attention, but if there's people I know because I love them, I'll let them know, hey, what you just said, that was a little bit off, you know. That's good. But that's where loving unity happens. That's good. That's great. Yeah. Confronting it lovingly like you're doing. Yeah, I, I love how you brought out the early church, the power of unity. I was even reading Ephesians 2, 14 and 15 this week, and where it talks about in the midst of the Roman Empire marked by severe prejudices, hatreds. The, the first Christians viewed themselves as part of a worldwide family that transcended national, class, cultural, racial barriers 
they understood this, that through Jesus' blood, which we sang about today, had destroyed those barriers and uh, created a new human race, a new society, a new people, and the church, the body of Christ. So, yeah, that we realize, you know, in, in when we give our hearts to Christ as believers, we have to understand what goes with that as we give our hearts to others as well. We're giving our lives to others. It's, it's, it's a very powerful dynamic. Sometimes we just stop at Christ and we think, oh, it'll just all work out. But we have to give our hearts and our lives to others. Yeah, and what you said is very key about the early church because what, when Paul said that in Ephesians, if you understand the context, Ephesus was a very diverse city, but they were divided. I mean, it, it would almost be compared to, okay, if you go to a city like maybe, say, New York City, oh, that block is the Chinese, that block is the Jewish. That, that's how Ephesus was. And so the Christians were, they were different because they didn't have, like, everybody blurred together. And so when Paul said this, when he said, hey, the church is all one, there's no neither Jew, Greek, whatever, it was the picture of they were different. Matter of fact, if you study even the very first church, if you study where it says in the Bible where they were first called Christians, it was at the church of Antioch. You want to know what significant was about the church of Antioch? The church of Antioch was a very diverse church known mm-hmm. for having leadership that was different. Um, and so, um, and so this goes back further on. I didn't even mention this, but you even think about the first issue the early church had to deal with was a racial issue. You say, really? Think about it. Remember when, when the deacons were established, we always think it was because deacons was established. The heart behind it was, was that the Hebraic Jews, the, uh, were getting better treatment than the Hellenistic Jews which ethnicity, they were different, and they felt like they weren't getting the same treatment as the majority. And so they said, this isn't right because our people aren't being taken care of the same. There was an inequity because of ethnicity. And so what happened? They said the apostles went and prayed, and they set aside deacons to make sure that there was fairness that was going on and that there was equality. And when you look at the deacons that were chosen— Think about this, if, and I'm probably going a little bit deeper than what, what, you, what you wanted to go. But in that, the apostles chose the minority to be deacons over the majority. Hmm. If you begin to look at some of the deacons, Simon of Niger. Yeah. He was an African. Wow. Uh, you begin to look at some of the places. And, and so the first issue where we got deacons from was because there was an equity. There was a racial issue. Hmm that the early church had to deal with, but yet they dealt with it, and you see the early church thrived and, and, and flourished. That's good. Wow. That's so good. We, and we know that we have a generation. I know you minister to them as well. The millennials, Gen Zers, they're passionate about racial unity. It's so true, and, uh, and the movement that people see in this to stand up. You got, do you see that and notice that as well? Yeah, this generation are passionate. I think what they do is they look at the scripture and they see what it says and they just take it for face value. They don't impose what American culture or whatever is placed on it. They just look at it and say, oh, everybody's created in the image of God. Okay. Why don't we see that today? (laughs) You know, and they just go for it. And I think this generation uh, we'll see. A, I mean, they, we're going to see this generation do some incredible things because of just uh, the passion and the zeal that they have 
just to really take the word of God at face value and mm. to do it. That's so true. I'm just, you, just talking about that makes me think of all these things that we see in migrants and refugees and all of this. Do we wonder why God is bringing this to the surface again so that we as the church can get it right? Yes. Amen? Yeah. So we can get it right and do this thing and give him the maximum glory. Um, are there any resources that you can refer us to for racial unity? Yeah, I think there's a lot of resources out there um, that you can read. There's several books that I uh, recommend. One, The Myth of uh, Equality. It's by a Ken, like with Samo, whatever. I don't want to pretend like, I don't want to cuss in church, so I'm not going <laughs> to try to pronounce his last name. But it's called The Myth of Inequality, and the, the name Ken is the name of the, the pastor okay. there. There's another book, uh, Miles McPherson. The third option, which is a good one. Um, if you want to go a little bit deeper in historical context, there's a wonderful book written by a professor from Baylor called The Divided by Faith. And it goes into the historical context of the division between the African-American and the white evangelical church, which is an incredible read. Um, there is another book that just came out recently, The Color of Compromise. Wonderful book. Uh, another book called Many Colors. Um, I recommend there's a couple of documentaries that you can watch. Uh, matter of fact, one in particular is I would say, and I know, you know, don't, you know, the person may not, but the documentary is actually very enlightening. It's by Chelsea Handler on Netflix called Hello, It's Me, Privilege. Um, a wonderful take. And I want to encourage you. There, there's lots of different documentaries you could watch. And sometimes it's hard to watch things because human tendency is when things are difficult and they're hard, we like to turn away yeah. because it could get overwhelming. But allow yourself to experience the, the overwhelmingness. Allow yourself to experience those emotions because what you're experiencing sometimes is what sometimes individuals go through on a daily basis. And what we tend to tell people is get over it. And get over it is the worst thing that you could ever tell somebody to do because what you're telling them is their story doesn't matter. That Their story doesn't matter. And if their story doesn't matter, then they don't matter. And so allow yourself to, to watch and hear some of these things and to learn. Uh, learn about, you know, number one, um, you know, even here in Virginia, there's been an incredible, we, we celebrated an incredible a moment just a couple weeks ago, the four, commemorating the 400-year anniversary of slaves first landing in, the, in, in, this, in Hampton. And matter of fact, most people think it's in Jamestown, but it's Hampton, Virginia, where they landed, which is part of the heart of my wife and I to say, man, we want a church in the very area where lots of hatred, where lots of Amen. racism started. How Amen. beautiful would it be to have a church that's multi-ethnic, multi-generational, that's really reversing what the enemy meant for evil, that God will turn it around and will use it for his good. And so learning of things, I know a big deal, like, you know, recently there's been a lot of controversy around the 4th of July. But, you know, and I'm not going to talk, go into that. But, you know, but I would say instead of learning, instead of criticizing people who've had issues with the 4th of July, learn about why some of the things behind that. But then learn about Juneteenth. How many of you have ever heard of Juneteenth? Some of you may not have heard of Juneteenth. June 19th, 1865 is when slavery was really, uh, was uh, the last ounce of slavery was abolished in this country, in Texas. 
Texas was the outlying state that had that there was the last kind of stronghold and it was Juneteenth which is June 19th and that's why but see as believers those are things we need to be celebrating and talking about you know those type of things and so you know when it comes to resources begin to read about things like that I would encourage you pick up those books read learn educate yourself um, you know and then one of the best resources you can also do is one another find a person and ask them about their experience. Yes, so good. I love that book by uh, Pastor Miles McPherson. I heard him speak last year on that book, The Third Option. He's a pastor in San Diego. And one of the powerful things he said when he was speaking about this topic, he says, when you get a tan at the beach, it's beautiful. But when you get a tan in the womb, it's criminalized. That's powerful. We have to confront this and honor God. Telvin. Any last thoughts you leave us with today? Yeah, you know, when we talk about this thing of racial unity, naturally, because in this country it's white, black, but it's even more than that. It's it's Asian, it's Hispanic, it's Native American, it's any group that's the minority. And um, I want to say this to my white brothers and sisters, and I say this with all sincerity and love: we need you. This is something that the African Americans, Hispanics, Asians are not gonna win this battle alone. It's gonna take you, who are our white brothers and sisters, to stand up and to call out racism and injustice for what it is. Dr. Martin Luther King sat in the Birmingham jail and he wrote some incredible letters, but one of the saddest things he wrote, he said, you know, that his white brothers and sisters who claim to be co-laborers in Christ fought against him and did nothing for the civil rights movement. And I believe that we're in a moment of time where God has given the church a second chance to get it right. Because during the civil rights movement, the church did not stand up like it should. Matter of fact, there were many prominent white ministers who stood against the civil rights movement and used the scriptures to say so. And this isn't to bring condemnation, hear me, I'm, I'm saying it in all love that we need you. We can't do this alone. That what it's going to take, Jesus, before he went to the cross, he said this. He said, God, I pray that my our people are one, just like you and I are one, so that the world will know that I'm real. He was praying for the disciples, all of those who claim to be followers of Christ. And how one are Jesus and the Father? And that's the oneness that he prayed for us. You see, people aren't going to know that he exists until we walk hand in hand, black, white, Hispanic, Native American, Asian. They're not going to know, but right now the church is so divided. We're just as divided as out there. But if we would just get a hold of this and understand that God, is he's broken down that wall of hostility in the spiritual realm. We just have to walk it out in the natural. But it's going to take everybody standing up. It's going to take my white brothers and sisters who are in positions of privilege and power to use their privilege and power to make sure that everyone has the same privilege 
has the same opportunity and that everybody is recognized as image bearers of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Love that, love that. I sense God just doing a healing work right now. Telman, will you just pray for us today as we draw this to a conclusion? Father, I just thank you, Lord. Jesus, you modeled how to do this thing. You left your position of power. You left your position of privilege. And you came to this earth and you lived among us. You walked among us and you reconciled us back to the Father. You gave your life for us. And likewise, I pray that we would do the same for one another, our brothers and our sisters. Lord, I pray for us individually that we would confront the biases that are in our hearts, the prejudices that are in our hearts, whether white, whether black. I pray that we would tear down the stereotypes to know that not all white people are racist, that not all black people are thugs and criminals that we will tear down those things in our hearts and that we will truly get to know one another as brothers and sisters. And so, Father God, I even pray right now because I believe that there's someone in here that this whole time that we were talking, that there was anger in your heart. And I believe that right now that God brought that anger up not to hurt, but to show you that he wants to remove that. And I believe that if you would just just deal with it that God is going to use you in an incredible way to bring healing to bring healing you are going to be an incredible mouthpiece for justice and righteousness and so Lord I just pray that you would unite our hearts together I pray for Pastor John and Kristen Lord as this has been something on their heart I pray that you would Lord that you would just give them incredible favor that you would give them wisdom and that you would use them God to Lord to 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 preach the gospel. Lord, that the ministry of reconciliation, God, would truly operate out of Abundant Life Church. So, Lord, we just thank you, and I pray your blessings over each and every one. In Jesus' name, amen.